so much meat here over the past few weeks and just seeing how all this stuff is coming together and really how they're here in these first few chapters of Genesis, it truly is the seed for the rest of redemption's story. And that's what we're going to look at tonight a little bit more of. But tonight we're going to focus in on verse 17 and 19, but just for, for a little bit of help's sake, um, dealing with aftermath of the fall, this is sort of part two, if you will, um, dealing with now verse 14 and 19. Let's read those verses, and then we're going to jump into 17 and 19. Verse number 14, The Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. Now I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception, and sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. <clears throat> and unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field, and the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Here we're going to be looking, verse 17 and 19, judgment upon the man. And judgment upon the man in so doing is as well going to be cursing the land. We say and hear these phrases all the time that we live in a sin-cursed world. We have sin-cursed bodies. So where does that come from? It comes from the sin curse. Uh, we are sin-cursed in everything that is around us physically alive from the, from the grass uh, to our own bodies are, are sin-cursed, meaning they're, they're dying, they're deteriorating. They're not, it's not going to get any better, right? Um, you think about this. Grass is green and it's pretty, but guess what it grows? And when it grows and when it grows too high, then it doesn't look so good, does it, right? And so guess what? In the Garden of Eden, they don't have any need for uh, someone to come and, and to mow their yard, right? Everything stays good. Everything is nice. It's watered properly. Everything's good. Um, everything looks as it's supposed to be. Why? Because sin has not come in and tainted everything. But what has happened, the moment sin comes in, everything is, is ruined. And it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And we often look and think that when Adam is told to keep the garden in chapter 2, remember that? Ch chapter 2, it says in verse 15, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress and to keep it. We think that God sticks Adam in the garden to go prune bushes, to get rid of the, the weeds, and he's walking around the garden naked with a, a, a can of Roundup. And, and that's not the case at all. There are no thorns and thistles. There are no weeds. What does it mean to dress and to keep it? The idea was to act as a priest, to keep it from sin, to keep it pure, to keep it as it was designed to be. It was designed to be a place where God and man can dwell together uh, in fellowship, in communion with one another, where God the Creator can have fellowship with His creation. But what breaks that fellowship? Sin. So the moment that Adam sins, this fellowship, this relationship is broken. And how long is it broken? For forever. This is why you and I are born separate from God, dead in our sins and trespasses, and we need to be reconciled, redeemed to God. So who can do it? Well, I can't do it. You can't do it. Who can? Only the God-man, our mediator, the one who is truly God and truly man, who can stand in our place. He was able to stand in the place of God because He was God. He was able to stand in the place of man because He is and was man. And so He had put on flesh to die for our sins, to be the second and greater Adam who would fully and completely and perfectly obey um, in such a way to bring about our life as Adam brought death, 
Christ would bring life. Now I want to look here. What the first thing that takes place in verse 17 here is it says, And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. The first thing of the judgment upon the man is now that the world and the creation itself is now cursed. This is the moment that you can almost hear the sound of thorns and thistles popping up. You can start to hear the weeds growing. Now the grass that is green is starting to grow too high. Things aren't good. They're not what they're meant to be. Now, why is the ground cursed? Well, he gives us the answer, verse 17. Because thou hast one, hearken unto the voice of thy wife. Husbands, don't ever, ever listen. <laughs> right? All the guys said amen, and then, and then we ran, right? <laughs> uh, no, here's, here's the issue here. Here's the issue. To hearken unto the voice of thy wife, the issue that had taken place, he says, hearken unto the voice of thy wife, and look, and hast eaten of the tree. Now, both Adam and Eve fell in the same way. One, Eve fell, and that she listened to the voice of the serpent, and still chose to eat of the fruit of the tree, which she knew, because she told the serpent, not supposed to eat of it. And then she said, or touch it, which God didn't say. All right. Now, then Adam, how does he fall? He then listens to the voice of another tempter, but the tempter then is his wife instead of the serpent. Here, take, eat. I didn't die. I'm still standing because I'm holding this fruit and handing it to you. And what does he do? Takes and decides the same way that she had and eats. But the difference lies in that Adam is the federal head of all of humanity, but as well as that of creation. He represents creation itself. And now creation has rebelled against God, breaking fellowship with God. So now the relationship that was meant to be had between God, the creator and man and all of creation with him is no longer able to be had in the way it was designed to. It's no longer to be kept because now it has been broken. It has been ripped. It has been torn asunder. And it is because Adam was led and did not lead. He listened to the voice of his wife and ultimately that of the serpent and of his own lust, then he sinned. Instead of listening to what God had already spoken. This is the importance today. We see it in the garden. We see it today. Granted, Adam didn't have the Bible. He had something uh, equally as good. He walked with God daily. And God had told him this is the law. This is the one rule. He had no excuse. But nevertheless, what do you and I have? We have the Bible. So we have no excuse to not know what God desires and what God expects. And for us to go, why didn't know God said, well, yeah, you did. It's right here. But you won't know it unless you get in it. Now, I can't preach the whole Bible in one sermon unless you guys really let me, right? And one day we just might do it. But nevertheless, you're not going to get it all. But we've got to stay in the Bible and we must stand upon it. Now, here's what takes place. The cursing of the land is important here. And it seems somewhat insignificant. You just go, okay, so serpent's got to crawl on his belly. Eve's got to have babies and a husband, and both of them are going to be joyful and also bring her sorrow. And Adam, now he's got to be working all day and sweating and stinking to grow his own food and just to survive and provide for his family. But there's more to it. You see, the, the cursing of the ground here, before we even get to the death pronouncement, if you will, of Adam, that, hey, you came from dust, you're going to go back to dust, in verse 19, the cursing of the ground is going to be the outflow of God's people throughout the rest of the Old Testament. 
You say, how so, Pastor Joe? I'm glad you asked. Let's look at it. When we find throughout the rest of Genesis, when we get into Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, what do we find? That God then gives the law to His people. And that in the law, God says, if you obey, there will be a blessing. If you disobey, there will be cursing. What do we find then once we get into Joshua and Judges? We find that when they obey, there's blessing. When they disobey, there's cursing. What about in the times of kings? And then in the times of the, the divided kingdoms? When they obey, there's blessing. When they disobey, there's cursing. And even times when they get uh, taken out of their own homeland and they're under such persecution where they're driven away to the Babylonians and, and the Persians and all of these things over and over and over again in captivity. Ultimately, it's because in rebelling or rejecting God's law and word, they place themselves under captivity and bondage to sin and to their captors instead of realizing they were bond servants of the Lord their God, the one true God, who had made a covenant with them. Now, this is also important because this goes more so as well with the covenant that is going to be had with Abraham. What does God promise Abraham? Three things. Land, seed, and the blessing. Now, the land they got to enjoy and would enjoy when they obeyed. But over and over in the Old Testament, if you don't believe me, just read your Old Testament, okay, and you'll find it. The Old Testament over and over and over again, you know what it talks about? Returning to the land, enjoying the good of the land, going to the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, right? All these things, and it sounds so good. What's the importance of it? Well, here, Adam is in a land in the Garden of Eden that is the promised land, if you will. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. And the idea is not that you, you, you get a shovel full of dirt and out comes milk and honey, okay? The idea is that it's an abundance of riches, an abundance of blessing that God has given to His people. The idea of understanding obedience and blessing is that to obey and receive blessing is to see the fruit of the land. And when they enjoyed the fruit of the land, the promised land, it was because they obeyed the Lord. When the, and the fruit that they got to enjoy, is seen from obedience. Notice this. When we follow the Lord by faith, what is there? Faith produces fruit. The fruit of the Spirit. It is good fruit. It is useful fruit. It is glorifying fruit to the Lord. But what about disobedience? What well, produces fruit as well, but the fruit is that of famine. What would happen during Israel's day from Genesis all the way on through the Old Testament? When they disobeyed God, we talked about it even a little bit Sunday. There was a famine in the land throughout the time of Judges. During uh, the book of Ruth, Naomi, they, they flee. They go to the place of Moab. And what happened? They left because there was famine. Why was there famine? Because every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That there were generations that had risen up who did not know the Lord. And to not know the Lord means, one, that they don't know Him. Not just they know His name, but to know is more so of that of faith. Right When we say, I want to know God more, what does that really mean? It means more than I just want to know more about God. It means I want to have faith in the Lord. I want my faith to be strengthened. I want my faith to grow. So when we say that the, the purpose here is to know Christ and to make Him known, it means it's to grow in faith, to grow in knowledge and understanding. And the more that I know God, the more that I will naturally grow in a faith and trust in Him. Because the more I see who He is, and the more I understand who I am, then the more I naturally, in the Spirit, want to trust Him 
and walk with Him because then I know He's God, I'm not. He's good, I'm not. He's faithful, I'm not. So therefore, I trust Him. And my faith in Him grows throughout the days. Now, this is going to show forth throughout the whole Old Testament, but this is also going to bring us back to the idea that we'll see a little bit tonight, but the rest once we finish chapter 3 in the next booklet, verses 20 to 24. They're going to be driven from the garden, driven from the good land. Why? Because of disobedience. We see that throughout the rest of the Old Testament. But there's going to be the promise is that this is temporary. Because those who live by faith, what do they get to do? Enjoy the land. Those who are faithful in the wilderness, what happened? Well, there are only a few of them, right? They got to survive. A whole generation died in the wilderness during, uh, after the Exodus, right? They get up to the edge of the promised land. They send in 12 spies. And what happens? Two of them come back and they say, it looks good. God said it's ours. Let's go get it. And the other 10 say, but they're big. They're scary. There's all this stuff, right? And so what happens is the people disbelieve God. They, they reject the promised land that was right there before them. And they go wandering for 40 years of judgment where a whole generation would pass away. And then the new generation had an opportunity to then follow the Lord, to trust Him and to walk by faith to then inherit the land. And they get to go back into it. What would happen then after every time, during the times of kings and, and past the time of judges, when they would be in captivity? The goal was always to return to the land. And what we're going to see is that Adam and Eve certainly would have wanted to return to the land, but they couldn't. But in these verses, we find the great promise is that there is a coming day where you and I do get to return to the land, if you will. And it is not even just going to be on this uh, particular earth, but rather in the new heavens and the new earth where we get to enjoy God's creation as it is meant to be, sin-free, and to know God fully and completely and to walk before Him in perfect obedience where you and I will never fail again. There will be no more curse. We'll get to that here in a little while. Now, here we look. Um, Salehammer writes about the good land. He says, The good land provided by the Creator in chapter 1 and 2 is now cursed. Human beings can no longer freely eat of the fruits of the land. Let me pause there for just a moment. If you remember what's taken place before chapter 3, they get to literally freely eat except for one tree. Right? So other than that, they're freely eating. They don't have to work for it. They don't have to try to dig holes and wait for the rainy season to come and then for crops to start to grow and start to, to pull weeds and to keep the deer from eating their tomato plants. None of that. They get to just go and freely eat. That's a part of the blessing of knowing God without sin. That's a part of knowing God and by faith in the way in which we're supposed to. So they could freely eat. Now, author goes on and he says, The focus on eating, which seems to dominate the author's depiction of the fall, is related to the author's interest elsewhere in the importance of eating and its association with the relationship of humankind to God. The Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch's own teaching is tied to clean and unclean food and to regulations for annual feasts, to celebrate God's covenantal gift of the good land. To this can be added the role and importance of feasts and eating in the biblical eschaton, which you can see. Eschaton is a, another word for the, the, the end times, if you will. Um, in Revelation uh, chapter 19, you may as well go ahead and stick a bookmark in Revelation. We're going to be there a little while later at the end, all right? And I, and we're going to we're bring it all for, full circle tonight, okay? 
Revelation 19, what takes place there? The marriage supper of the Lamb. And after these things, I heard a great voice, much people in heaven, saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are His judgments. For He hath judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and hath avenged the blood of His servants at her hand. And again they said, Alleluia, and her smoke rose up forever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God and sat upon the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all ye, serv- all ye His servants, and ye that fear Him, both small and great. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude and as the voice of many waters and as the voice of mighty thunder saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Right blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And now... See, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Then what do we find in Revelation 22? There are several times in Revelation 22, which we're going to look at later, but you read in 22 and in 21 that there's a free drinking of the water of life and there's a free eating of the tree of life. We find, and we can trace the tree of life throughout the Bible. We find it in the garden. There it is. But then they're driven from it because of their sin. But then what do we find? Jesus dies on what is called a tree. What does Jesus do there? He purchases life, eternal life, everlasting life. So then that all that come to the tree of life, meaning where Christ dies and we accept His sacrifice on our behalf, then we're told that in Revelation 22, we get to partake of then the tree of life that will be there once more. Praise God for that. And so we see that God makes no mistakes in the way that He has lined these things up in the Bible. This is one collection of books inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, not to give us all these different individual little segments, but to show us the grand and glorious picture of the grace and glory of our God to redeem a people unto Himself that we may eat and freely eat of that tree of life to know Him and to know Him forever and forever. Now, uh, Charles Ryrie writes, The ground was cursed because of Adam's sin so that it would grow thorns and thistles, increasing his work to make it produce. Before this, Adam's labor was enjoyable and satisfying. Now it would be difficult and empty. Now I want to go ahead and preface by saying I have never kept a a garden. I haven't done it. The closest thing I've done to that is walking in the grocery store in the produce section, right? And, And... you know, I just got the magic touch. Every time I walk in the produce section, the little, the little rain falls down on the produce. And, also, and if you go into a Kroger, and it might have been a little while since you've been to a Kroger, but the Krogers, most of the time when they have the water go on the, on, the, on the fruit and the veggies, it makes a little thunder sound, right? A little plug-in for Kroger there. Lord, give us a Kroger here in Hillsville. That's what we need, right? Um, <laughs> anyways, that's a free plug for Kroger. Moving on. We, we see, I, I don't know much about gardening and growing things. I know that it takes... Good soil, it takes getting rid of thorns and thistles, it takes water, it takes time and patience. A whole lot of sweat of the brow. As a matter of fact, I do know one thing about growing vegetables and fruit and stuff, and that's normally taking place during spring and summer. It's normally the hottest part. And everyone that I know that is a gardener or a farmer, they talk about long hours, talk about a lot of sweat, talk about a lot of dirt, cuts and bruises, and a thorn got me, I had to trim this up, and... The weeds done growed up, and now I'm fighting off deer and all this stuff, right? 
It's not an easy thing to get a crop at the end of the season, is it? Anybody? No. Okay, thank you. All right. Somebody, the rest of you guys, I don't know, it might be easy for y'all. Right? It's not, a, not an easy thing. It takes time and patience. It takes endurance. It takes hard work and effort. And then even sometimes still you get to the end and you might be left scratching your head going, well, I tried doing everything right, but there's just not the, the fruit that there was last year or they don't grow like they used to or all these different things for a multitude of different reasons. But nevertheless, you want the real reason why the gardens don't grow like they used to or like they should or like how we want them to? Sin. Right? And it's not even just because of your sin. It's just that everything is so enveloped with sin that nothing is easy. It was, it, no longer can we just freely eat. We must work and work hard for this. Work, though, we must never mistake as being some sort of part of the curse. We often look and think that work itself is a part of the curse. Work is designed by God. Adam was certainly working the garden not to keep thorns and thistles, but to enjoy God and, and, and to fellowship with Him. And work is given by God in order to provide for our families. And the Bible talks about if a man doesn't work, he ought not eat. And so we see these biblical principles about work. However, what happens when sin enters is that work ceases to be something that can be in, in, enjoyed and done so in a proper way. But now there's overworking, there's continued toil and sweat for little to no, no fruit from it. There's now all these difficulties and labors. As he talked about this, he says, the ground was cursed because of Adam's sin so that it would grow thorns and thistles, increasing his work to make it produce. Before this, Adam's labor was enjoyable and satisfying, and now it becomes difficult and, and empty. Now work is, is work. It's not just something that you get to do. Now it's something that you've got to do, right? You don't work, you don't get paid. You don't get paid, you can't buy food. You can't buy food, you go hungry. You go hungry, you die, right? We see the circle here. That's how it goes. And so now we don't get to work. We got to do it, and it's not easy. Work is designed by God, but now it has been discouraged by man, and it is man's sin that discourages hard work. It is man's sinfulness that, that detests hard work. We want, and let's be honest, here in America, we want everything the easy way. There's a reason why the vast majority, if you look statistically, of stuff that is bought in grocery stores is prepackaged, frozen, or pretty much ready to eat, or hardly any work to do it, because we want instant gratification. We want as little work as possible, especially because, well, in order to buy that easy-to-make, pre-processed food that is terrible for me with all sorts of dyes and all sorts of things, but we still eat it because it tastes good, okay? And it's easy. Why do we do it? Because we do, I just worked 40 hours or 50 hours or 60 hours. I just worked 8 or 10 hours today, and now I'm tired. And now I'm supposed to work to, to make food, and now that's a whole job, especially if I want to eat healthy because I can't freely eat. And it's not easy because of sin. Then we find this. It says, Thorns and thistles also shalt thou bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat of the herb of the field. Let me get to verse 19. In the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. The beautiful thing, though, about the hard work of which man is then cursed with that he has to now do to provide for himself is that God gives little glimpses throughout their history, throughout man's history, and specifically throughout Israel's history with the law, that there would be times where they did not have to really work for food. 
Y'all remember a time in the wilderness where they were hungry? And what did God do? Manna every morning. And He even told them how to collect it. And then even provided enough for them so that way on the seventh day they could rest as they were designed to. So what's happening is in the middle of the wilderness judgment, God is giving a picture backwards to things of how they were supposed to be. What are they doing? They are following God and in His presence. They are able to freely eat of what God has provided. All they have to do is go and collect it, right? And He even tells them how. And then they get to collect enough on that sixth day. So the seventh day, they don't collect any, and they have enough for that day, and they can rest. What does God do in Genesis chapter 1 and 2? We have six days of created order and a seventh day of rest, which is just where God did not create something new. He designed that seventh day of rest for His people. And so even in the middle of their judgment, God is still graciously showing that it is He that provides for His people. Whether you work for it, whether you don't work for it, if you've got food, if you've got breath in your lungs, if you've got water and shelter and clothes on your back, or whether you are scarce on any of it, it is a gift of God. And we must never think that what we have does not belong to Him. The moment we think that something is ours is the moment that we have committed a grave act of idolatry. We have in that moment thought far too highly of ourselves and far too little of God. We have put our trust in our work and in our hands. And what do our hands produce? Fig leaves that can barely cover ourselves up and we still need the Lord to take care of the rest. Now, in this, death then occurs in verse 19. And it's already occurred, but here it's described. He's foreshadowing and telling that you've come from dust, you've come from dirt. Remember, God had taken a scoop of the dirt of which He created, formed and fashioned into man, and then goes face to face, mouth to mouth, nostril to nostril, and breathes the breath of life into man. And man becomes a living soul. But He tells him, now because of sin... What God had told them, thou shalt surely die, it's going to come to pass. Some would say, and, and Satan would say, because certainly I believe he, he knew maybe to, to a degree at this point, where he says, you won't really die. Well, what happens? Eve eats, and did she really die? Well, in the outward, it doesn't appear so. She didn't drop over dead. She was still breathing. She still is holding fruit in her hand. And so she's alive enough to hand it to her husband. Then her husband eats, and then they're both alive enough to then Look and realize that we're naked. We're still alive, so we didn't die. But something's not right. We've got to cover ourselves up and we've got to go hide behind a tree because God's coming to walk with us and we can't walk with Him because of our sin. So what do we find here? We find that death did occur. Immediately spiritual decay takes place. Immediate spiritual separation. But this is foreshadowing that every man will die. And this is why in the Bible, Old and New Testament, when someone is taken out without having a taste of death, it's a big deal. Because in just a few short chapters, it's going to happen. Right? There's going to be a man named Enoch, or Enoch, however you want to say it. It, it, it walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Then we, we find uh, several other instances, Old and New Testament, where this sort of takes place to foreshadow several things. One, with the rapture of the church, but as well, the fact that there are those who did not taste of the physical death because of God's grace. But yet all of us are told, for it is appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. So there is much more to this idea that he's just going to have to die and go back into dust. He's not talking about we just get annihilated or we just die and that's it. But it's that there will be a final 
judgment. And there must be because of God's justice. Now, uh, the KD commentator, they, they write about this and they say, Formed out of the dust, he shall return to dust again. This was the fulfillment of the threat. And the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die, which began to take effect immediately after the breach of the divine command. For not only did man then become mortal, but he also actually came under the power of death, received into his nature the germ of death, the maturity of which produced its eventual dissolution into dust. When life comes into this world, we're excited, aren't we? Right? And we should be. Life is precious. But why is life precious? One, because it's life and God gave and designed it. It is God who knitted and formed and fashioned us in our mother's womb. But it's precious as well because we know that when we came into this world, that means that we're going to leave this world. We're not going to be here forever. We will die. And sadly, there's many of a young graves and grave markers that remind us that Death affects young and old and everything in between, and there is no escaping such. But for you and I who know Christ, though we might have to taste physical death, it is only for a moment, and then we get to experience life and life everlasting. And to live is Christ, to die is gain. To be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. So the worst thing that can ever happen to a believer is that we do die physically, and we go to heaven, we go to be with the Lord. But this shows that death does occur immediately for them. Guzik writes, the curse of death shows that the result of Adam's sin extended to the entire human race because of Adam's sin entered in the world. And death came to all mankind. Uh, and death reigned over man in creation. All men were condemned and all men were made sinners. Um, there in that quote, you see the continuation of Romans chapter 5. For sake of time tonight, I won't go through it, but read Romans 5 and you'll find all the way through what do you see. You see these passages. You see these verses that say, Adam sinned. Adam's sin brings death and disobedience and separation for all of mankind. But then what do what else do we find? That Jesus, the greater Adam, the perfect Adam, the perfect one who is obedient to God the Father, the only one who has ever been perfectly obedient to the Heavenly Father and to all of His laws, what does He do? He perfectly obeys. He humbles Himself to the will of the Father, even unto the death of the cross. And in so doing, in His obedience, He purchases us by His blood that we can go from death to life, judged to forgiven, right? Guilty to guiltless, to unrighteous, to righteous, to unholy, to holy. Now we're clothed in His righteousness. When you're born, you're born wearing Adam's skin, if you will, right? You're born representing Him because He represented you. We look like Adam, we talk like Adam, and that's the same way that Satan is himself. We're children of Adam, children of the devil. We're sinners. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. And here's what then happens. The moment that we are delivered and transformed, translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of His dear Son, according to Colossians, the kingdom of light that is in Christ, then we're now clothed, not just in our mortal flesh, because this is temporary, it's not going to be there forever, but we are now clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. That means this, that when God now looks at you, He no longer sees your sin in the past, present, or in your future, even if you've got another 80 more years of go of being in the flesh, He sees you in the same righteousness of His Son. There is no difference. That's the beauty of salvation. That's the beauty of God's grace, that we go from being clothed, and the death 
that, that reeks of death and sin in Adam to now being clothed in the life and righteousness of Jesus. Now, in Adam, paradise is lost. But in Christ, paradise is truly found. Remember, it is Jesus who there on the, that day of His death looks over to the, the thief that had confessed Him and said, Remember me, Lord, when you enter into your kingdom. And He said, Today thou shalt truly be with me in paradise. Now, for you and I, the idea is this, that one day paradise will be restored and it will be even greater than the Garden of Eden because there will be no more curse. And I believe that there will be no more potential of a curse because we will have a glorified body. Now, as we press on in this, we see, although Adam does not immediately face physical death, one day he will. However, though now he is now spiritually dead, separated from the relationship that he once enjoyed with his Creator, how long did it take for sin to interrupt his relationship with God? A day? Two days? Three days? Immediately. Exactly. We find that the moment he, it says in verse number 6, the very end, and he did eat. And then what does verse 7 say? And. Now that's important, not just in the English, but as well as in the Hebrew. It is immediately connecting the idea that it is something that takes place immediately. This is, was the argument as to why Adam as well was with Eve. Because it says, and she gave, right? She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave. It is the idea of an immediate action. So he eats and the eyes of them both were opened. Because in Adam's sin, all have sinned. And we see then sin's consequences affect more than just ourselves, but those around us. And we see that sin is just this ripple effect over all of creation. And immediately their eyes are opened. Immediately they knew they were naked. Immediately they know they have now been separate from God because now the moment, the very next moment when they hear the voice of God, when they hear Him walking to come meet with Him, what do they do? They run. Sin causes us to be separated from God. This same sin curse is passed on to all mankind. We can see this throughout the Bible. We can see as well some effects of it in Ephesians 2. But as well in Ephesians 2, we see how we are dead in sins and trespasses separate from God. But God, His great mercy, saved us by His grace. By grace are you saved. By grace are you saved. By grace are you saved. It is a gift of God. Where Adam brings death and separation by the curse of the fall, Jesus, the second and better Adam, brings life and fellowship by his death, burial, and resurrection. You can see Colossians chapter 1 and chapter 2 for some great details on that that should get you excited as you read God's Word. We now find this truth that death will be the new norm. Up to this point, death is not normal. Death is abnormal. Death has not happened yet. What's about to take place in the next few verses that we'll see next week in verse 21, that then God makes coats of skins for them. If you have an animal and you take its skin, what does that imply? You killed it. It's got to die. Right? It's got to die. The issue that we find here is sin brings about death. and It would be a constant reminder. Day after day, we're reminded of death. How many of you passed a cemetery on the way here? How many of you passed a funeral home? How many of you passed a person? How many of you are a person? Right? <laughs> if you've got now a little bit older, if you, maybe you've got glasses, 
Hearing aids? A wrinkle? <laughs> An ache or a pain, right? If you've got ten fingers and ten toes, and even if you ain't got any of those, we know that death is a sure thing. We are continuously reminded of death, but yet, we're also reminded that there is not just death, but there is an eternity following our physical death. Death is the new normal. All living things will die. As the famous biblical authors of the Lion King once wrote, it's the circle of life. If you're alive, you're going to die. Even Disney got that right. You're going to die. You're not going to die and become some other animal or go back and become a tree or whatever you might want to be or come back. You're not, and that's not going to happen. You will meet God. You will either meet Him in your sin or you will either meet Him in your sin or you will meet Him in your Savior. But the norm spiritually will be that there will be now the death of innocence for those that are guilty. The rest of the Bible will tell the redemption story of how by God's grace towards sinners we can be reconciled from the curse of death to the crown of life by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. I've got five minutes. I want to give you a couple things I wrote down earlier. This is not your booklet, so this is all free tonight, okay? It's not going to be on your invoice or nothing, all right? Genesis chapter 3. This is why I told you to hold your place there in, in Revelation, all right? Do y'all believe the Bible is God's Word? Amen. Do y'all believe that the Bible has a singular message? Amen. I know it's a little bit tricky. Okay, It does. <laughs> it's Christ. <laughs> it, this points to Him. This is His book. Now, here's how I want to bring this. All right, And we're going to do some more of this next week, especially as we get to the Tree of Life. Okay, but I want to touch on a few things tonight. First of all, Genesis 3. And if you're taking notes, I'm going to try to go slow for you. Genesis 3. The land is cursed. Genesis 3, the land is cursed. Now, Revelation chapter 22, verse number 3. We've got to understand Revelation 21 and 22 is the big E. This is eternity. This is the eternal state. This is past the millennial reign. This is after the great white throne. This is after all the judgment. This is after death, hell, and the grave is thrown in the lake of fire. That's after all these things have taken place. You and I have received rewards. Now we're into eternity. The new heavens and new earth. The new city of Jerusalem wherein dwelleth righteousness. Revelation 22, verse 3. Genesis 3, land is cursed. Revelation 22, verse 3. And there shall be no more curse. The land goes from curse to now we've got our new heavens and new earth and there is no more curse. It's gone. It's done away with. Praise the Lord for it. How about this? Genesis 3, death enters. Revelation chapter 20, verse 13 and 14. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and the hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, meaning death is dead. Death is gone. And no more sting of death because of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
But even death and hell itself will be cast into a lake of fire. Even the hell that people are in right now in this very moment it is not forever because there's in the lake of fire that's forever and forever. Even death and hell, the idea is it's thrown in to a lake of fire. To be cast in, it is not just dropped or to be placed gently. It is by the almighty wrath of our almighty God who in His almighty justice without a drop of His grace will take all those who have cursed Him, rejected Him from the very first one of Satan to the very last rebel. They will be cast death and hell into a lake of fire. Forever, forever. It says in verse 15, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Then how about in chapter 21, verse number 4? God shall wipe away all their tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death. Neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. So in Genesis 3, death comes for the first time. In Revelation chapter 20 and 21 and in 22, we see that death is no more, nor can it happen anymore. And what does death mean? Death is much more than just dead. It means separated. There's no more separation. So when you who are saved, if you're you saved tonight, amen, what does the Bible tell us about if we're saved? We're new creatures, new creations that we have passed from death unto life. So though you and I might die physically, we will never die spiritually. And that one day we will never say goodbye to a loved one again. We will never see death. We will never taste of death. We will never feel its cold grip again. Death will be gone and it will be gone forever. Amen. We might have revival tonight. Y'all keep it up. Y'all getting lively out there. Y'all about almost going to be Presbyterians here soon. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Genesis 3. Y'all got time for two more? All right. Genesis 3. We have separation from God. Death. Separation. What do we have in Revelation? Revelation 21, verse 1 through 4. I'm going to read it for you. We've already read verse 4, but we'll read it again. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Remember, that's what Eden was to be. That's what Eden was to be. And Adam did not dress it and keep it. That's why it did not stay that way. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, there shall be no more sorrow, nor crying, nor any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Look then at verse number 7 of chapter 21. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. You want to talk about fellowship and relationship? We're not just servants. We are sons and daughters of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We get to worship Him. We, we don't just get the honor and the privilege to be with Him, but now we have relationship with Him. We are His and He is ours. That happens the moment you're saved and there's nothing that will ever change that. Not a single thing. Genesis 3. Work and toil for survival begins. No longer can man freely eat and freely drink. Revelation 22, verse 14. And you can also see it in verse 
chapter 21, verse 6. Um, I am Alpha Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst the fountain of the water of life freely. How about verse 14 of chapter 22? Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates into the city. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters, and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root of the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. Let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. You go from having to work and toil and sweat with thorns and thistles to now, we get the water of life freely. We get the tree of life freely. You know what the idea of freely is? It's free. But it's a gift. It is that of God's grace. So what do we find? From Genesis to Revelation, we find the story of the grace of God to the glory of God. And you and I, when we are there, 10,000 years, guess what we still have? The grace and the glory of God forever and forever and forever. And what we have is this understanding. Man's choice brings death and separation. Man's choice. Man chooses to be separate from God and stays in such a state until we experience and come and heed the call to partake of the tree of life and the water of life, the living water freely, and that is found in Christ alone, who is the bread of life. He is the one who died on the tree of life for us to offer eternal life for all who would repent and believe. He is the living water, the one who has a water of which if we drink and we're thirsty, we will never thirst again. And promises that one day we can eat freely and drink freely of the tree of life, the water of life, living water. God's choice is life. God chooses life. Life would not exist unless God chose for it to exist. Life does not cease until God says, cease. Our days are numbered. This world, this world's days are numbered. What we find though in God's choice of life, we find the beautiful balance and gift of God's grace and faith in Christ bring us to know Him and to enjoy God freely. You and I are meant to be free like Adam was free in the garden, but sin does not let us be free. Faith unlocks the door. Faith rids us of these chains, and by faith we will see our Lord face to face, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. May we never cease to be amazed by God's amazing grace. Let us pray. We come to You. We thank You for Your goodness, for Your faithfulness, Lord, for the opportunity to study Your Word. Lord, while we see the, the curse upon man, we still yet find the beautiful promise that while it was not supposed to be this way and we in our sin have messed everything up, God, and we mess up daily, yet by Your grace, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall one day see You face to face. We shall one day walk those streets of New Jerusalem. We shall one day be able to eat freely of the tree of life and drink of those living waters. Help us, God, to 
enjoy the grace You've given to us now to long and look forward to that beautiful and eternal day which shall never end. But as well, O God, that we would have hearts that are burdened to preach to the lost who are dying. And if they die without You, God, they will be cast far away from You into the lake of fire. May we have hearts that are burdened to win the lost, to preach the beautiful news of Your grace and goodness found in the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We love You. We thank You for this time. And go with us now. In Jesus' name, Amen. Y'all have a blessed night. And that-